Alex stepped back from the gene sequencer and looked at the four-color quilt on the computer screen that represented the sequence of the glycoprotein gene of the Dengue 2 virus. Call her macabre, but stripped down to its chemical basis, the red, blue, green, and orange representing the A, C, G, and T of the genetic code, the gene was quite beautiful. She entered the genetic letters into a computer program and a swell of music filled the room. A professor at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, Peter Jenna, had created a formula for turning the genetic alphabet of deadly diseases into musical compositions. Jenna used the gene sequences of HIV, measles, and polio as the basis for his songs. When Alex ran the program on the Dengue sequence, jagged notes collided with one another, with an occasional soothing tonal switch. A chilling composition, fitting the high fatality rate of Dengue fever, a Southeast Asian killer. Alex, who'd earned an M.D. and a Ph.D. in genetics at Columbia, had joined the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology, the AFIP, two years earlier to sequence the genomes of deadly epidemic diseases that the Department of Defense felt might be used in biowarfare against the United States. She also served on a government-wide commission led by the head of Homeland Security, Martin Kincaid. The commission, populated with people from Homeland Security, the FBI, the CIA, Justice, and the National Institutes of Health, was charged with detecting emerging infections, analyzing the threat they posed, and initiating medical and social responses. Her home institution, the AFIP, had more on its plate than lying in wait for possible bioterrorism. In fact, the traditional military men she worked alongside viewed her work as marginal, rather like collecting primroses or trying to find life on other planets. They were trained to deal with immediate risks, targeting the enemy or capturing a killer. Situated on 113 out-of-the-way acres in D.C., near the Maryland border, the semi-secret AFIP oversaw forensic investigations in the United States and abroad involving the military and the executive branch. Congress also gave it a blank check to develop new technologies for national security, forensics, and traditional warfare. The AFIP's equivalent of James Bond's Q, Captain Grant Pringle, oversaw a bevy of researchers just a hallway away from her. But unlike his dapper British fictional counterpart, Pringle was an over-muscled weightlifter who'd grown up in Vegas. Alex loved her work, but felt less thrilled about her workplace. She detested the military hierarchy, the Baroque rules about secrecy, and the emotionless faces of many of the men she served alongside. Her natural response was to play the civilian card, coming to work in jeans and a turtleneck, letting her personal interests dictate which research she undertook, and finding enough ways to bend the rules that they seemed like overcooked linguine when she was done with them. Her best friend and the AFIP's lawyer, Lieutenant Barbara Findlay, was often amused and occasionally infuriated by the way Alex maneuvered through the system. Alex kidded that she was Barbara's evil twin. The music hit a particularly garish note 
and Alex barely heard the knock on her lab door. She opened it and admitted Captain Randolph Stone, a pathologist from Walter Reed Hospital, part of the AFIP complex. She'd met him the previous month when she was asked to give a second opinion at the hospital.